Good morning. How are y'all doing today? Good, good. It's good to be here. It's always good to come together um, with the idea of worshiping together and then hearing God's word together. He feeds us all. My name is Ed, for those of you who don't know me. And as Pastor Tommy said, I am going to be closing out the book of John as far as our reading is concerned. The truths, of course, go on. Let me start off by taking us way back so that we can kind of remember some of the things that we've already heard about this book, but may have forgotten them because it's just been so long. The book starts off with the main idea of the entire book is that Jesus is God in the flesh. John the Baptist comes as a forerunner to Jesus. He picks his disciples and he says, follow me. He turned water into wine. Remember when Nicodemus went to him at night because he was so curious about this man, he actually said to him, and this is what it meant, nobody can keep on doing these kind of miracles unless he is from God. His curiosity was that raised about who this man Jesus was. That was way back in chapter 3, as a matter of fact. He talks with a Samaritan woman at the well, and he offered her living water. He healed a nobleman's son. He fed 5,000 men. That's just men. With women and children, they estimate that it might, be, it might have been 20,000 people there that he fed with a, with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. He walked on water. Remember when he called Peter out? Peter said, if, if, if it's you, call me out there. Let me walk on water too. You know, Peter is just that guy, right? Um, we, we learned that about Peter. And so he's like, come on. And Peter went out there, but he got so far and he took his eyes off Jesus. And it's like, wait a minute, these waves are really high. And he started to sink and he had to be saved. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. He made a blind man see. He gave seven I am statements that spoke to his godly nature. He rose Lazarus from the dead. There's so many other things that we could talk about in this book, like the compassion that he had on the woman caught in adultery and healing the crippled man by the pool. But let's move closer to our chapter that we're going to be into today. The disciples had gone to Jerusalem and they had experienced a tough series of events. The triumphal entry where it was Hosanna to the king when he rode in on the donkey and they threw all of the palm leaves down as he rode into the city. Of course, a week later, they were hollering, crucify him. <clears throat> Excuse me. There was an expectation of a new kingdom. Jesus is here now. We're going to make him king, and he's going to change all this stuff and get rid of these Romans. This was their expectation. There was a betrayal by a trusted friend. Judas betrayed him. They were nearly arrested. Arrested. Well, I mean, arrested. <laughs> they were nearly arrested. The denial of Jesus by Peter, their leader, the agonizing crucifixion of Jesus took place. The resurrection 
And then all of the different manifestations, the different times that he showed himself risen to differing people around the city. So with all of this stuff going on, it's understandable that they were confused and unsure of the future. So as a, as a title or something for you to hang on to, it could be our only point as well. I'd like for us to consider this as a thought. The resurrection really happened. Let's focus in on that truth while we go through chapter 21. Let's look at verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into a boat and caught nothing all night. That night caught nothing. So, so Jesus is about to reveal himself to them but it starts out by naming the disciples except for two of them. And, and the way John has done where he has never named himself, I'm guessing that one of those unnamed disciples is John. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. So let me clarify something with you guys. Because I've said I'm going fishing several times. I've gone fishing with my mom a whole bunch of times. But I've never said it like Peter said it. When Peter says it, he says, I'm going back to fishing as a profession. Just, just, just remember what Peter did. He denied Jesus and took himself out of the ministry. He was, he, he was disgraced, felt horrible, felt like there was nothing left for him. So he was going back to fishing as a profession. And then all of his guys said that they were going with him as well. And they went fishing and they caught nothing. So verse 4 reveals to us how Jesus revealed himself to them, how he showed himself. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast a net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. So they had fished all night. Daytime had come, and Jesus was standing on the shore from where they had been fishing. No one knew it was him. He asked them if they had any fish, and they said no. And so he just, he just said, cast your net on the right side, and then the net filled up with fish. They had fished all night and had caught nothing, and now after being told to cast a net one time, they couldn't hardly haul all of the fish in that they had caught. I've been fishing before, and I've had, a, me and my cousins have had a net full of fish, and I knew how hard it was to get that net of fish into the boat. So I understand their struggle. And these were probably some really big fish that they caught too. Ours were not <laughs> all big, so it might have been a little bit easier for us. But I, I can just imagine their struggle. So 
They had fished all night, caught nothing. After Jesus told them one time, they filled up this net with all these fish that they struggled to get it into the boat. And then John tells Peter that it's Jesus. Let's, let's look at verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, Peter did what Peter does. He's impulsive. He put on his honor garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. He just jumped into the water and just started swimming towards Jesus. I don't know if I would have jumped into a sea knowing the kind of things that are in there, but he didn't even think about that. He didn't hesitate to jump into the water, but think of how he must have felt. I denied my Lord. I lost my position, my opportunity, my standing with, with, with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now here he is standing on the shore. Maybe he might receive me back. I can, so I can understand him not being able to wait to get to Jesus. He didn't hesitate. Verse 8 says, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fireplace with fish laid out on it and bread. So the rest of them got the boat and the net full of fish to the shore. And when they got there, there was fish and fire and, and bread there. And Jesus said to them in verse 10, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus tells them to bring some of the fish that they had just caught. Peter went and got the net on shore and, 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 and they got some of the fish. But John, being the specific guy that he is in, in a lot of the other areas where he has written, he mentions that there was 153 fish. There are several possible reasons why he mentioned 153 and some of the things that I studied in the commentaries they, the pages are so long, I am not even going to mess y'all's brains up trying to explain this stuff to you. It is just that deep. It's not crazy. It's just really deep. So, you know, we always try to find some kind of spiritual deep meaning in everything. But let's just, let's just simply say that there were 153 fish caught in a net. The net was not torn. So how about this? Jesus in his grace, who he catches, he loses none of them. And we just leave it at that. That, that gives me comfort knowing that if he catches me, there's not going to be a hole in the net and then I'm lost. And you can have that same comfort. Jesus said to them in verse 12, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to him, and so with the fish. Here's Jesus on shore having breakfast with his disciples. The resurrection really did happen. The resurrection is real. Jesus' appearances were not just visions or hallucinations or a spirit that was there. A vision or a spirit would not be able to point out Put your net on that side and you'll catch some fish. A vision or a spirit would not be able to start a charcoal fire on the seashore. 
a vision or a spirit would not be able to cook and serve it and eat with his disciples. But the risen Jesus did all of these things. Jesus invites them to eat with him. And even though he was risen as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he served his disciples. So if he is still willing to serve in the position that he's in, that's where we need to be, always willing to serve our brothers and sisters. And then verse 14 says, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. In general, it's just saying that Jesus showed himself several times to prove that he rose from the dead. But specifically, it's talking about the time when his disciples were in this room scared with the door locked and he just came right through the door without opening it and showed himself, but Thomas wasn't there. And then the next time was when he, when he came back, when Thomas was there and said, stick your hand in so that you can see that I am flesh and bone, that I'm real, that I'm not a spirit, that I really did rise to live for an eternity with whoever else wants to come with me. Earlier, Peter had denied Jesus by a fire. And now we're getting ready to see that by a fire, Jesus is going to publicly restore Peter. Just, just, just always know this. No matter how great a person you may be, you can fall. I know that about myself. I don't even think I'm great. You might, but I just know that the ability for me to fall is real. And so in my own power, I don't give myself any credit for being able to do anything spiritual and you shouldn't either because that's the mistake that Peter made. Listen at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We all remember how Peter boasted about standing and dying for Jesus. No matter what they did, I'll never leave you. But when the time came for him to stand, he denied him three times. So here we are going to go into the part where he is going to restore Peter. But since I only gave you guys one title or one point, let's tie that point in to what we're getting ready to look at. He is getting ready to bring Peter back into the fold. The difference is, though, when Peter denied him, he was denying a guy that he knew that was alive, that he believed to be the Christ. Now, however... He is going to be listening to someone who he knows was dead and is now alive. The resurrection really happened. So let's look at it, starting in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now I can just hear Jesus in his loving, soft, kind, inviting voice saying this, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Just remember that while this is going on, 
Peter's life was stained because he denied Jesus. And he remembers that he boasted about what he would and wouldn't do. I'll die for you. I'll never deny you. And then here they are having this conversation after Peter's life was stained because he denied Jesus. So if I was to ask you a question, could you come up with something? What has stained your life and your effective ministry? And in what areas do you need to be restored? Only you can come up with the answer to that because only you and Jesus knows. But the same way Peter now knows that Jesus knows, you know that Jesus knows it. So when I come to, to, to those type of times, I have no other choice but to just admit my shortcomings, to admit my failures. We all have fallen short and stained our ministry in differing areas of our lives. But have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought that my life in Christ has been less than what, what he has commanded it to be? And I, and I don't need to feel good about that. I don't need to be comfortable with it. I need to address these things. Have you considered what in your life you need Jesus to restore for you? Maybe it's pride or selfishness or arrogance or lack of empathy for people. There are so many areas that I can think of for myself, about me, because I know me better than you guys. I'm the worst one in here. I may not be, but I only know me. So I see myself as the worst one in here, and I know that he can restore and wash me. And you need to ask Jesus to restore and wash your stains away. You know, his blood is the ultimate stain remover. You can look up the word propitiation, and basically that's what it means is that Jesus washes the stains of sin away. So when you stand before God, you are all clean in your white robe, and all of the stains of your sin are no longer visible because he sees Jesus in front of you. He will wash your sins away, and I trust that he has done that for me. His blood is the ultimate stain remover. I know that. You know that. But if you don't know that, I just pray that his Holy Spirit would touch your heart and open up your spiritual eyes so that you can see that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but he is never so high that he would not stoop down to serve you, to love you. Peter has learned that you cannot love Jesus and feed his flock in your own power. He's tried that already, and he knows that that didn't work. So we have had Jesus and Peter have this back and forth conversation where Jesus has asked him the same question two times, and Peter has answered him the same way two times. And so in verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Okay, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? 
Why not cry or why not grieve on the first two times? Why the third time? Let's take a deeper look and see. I'm going to use it in the words that they use so that you can hear it. Jesus says to Peter, do you have agape, devotional, sacrificial, divine love for me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I have phileo, friendship love for you. Jesus says, do you have agape, sacrificial love for me? Peter says, Lord, you know that I have friendship love for you. And both times Jesus said, feed my sheep or tend my lambs. The third time Jesus said, so Peter, you're just my friend? That's what grieved Peter when he had to admit that this big, bold man who has bragged throughout this whole gospel, I have to admit that, yeah, that's the best I can do. In my own power, the best I can do is just be your friend. I cannot muster up enough strength to die for you. I have to admit that. And you and I have to admit that as well. We cannot muster up in our own power the ability to stand and die for somebody. This is what grieved him, is that he had to admit that this big, strong man, this tough guy, the guy who is making all these claims about what I will do and what I won't do. And he even said, Lord, you know everything. You've already been proven right about me the first time when you said I denied you three times and I was just so sure that I wouldn't. So you know everything and you know that I'm weak. You know that this is the best I got. Yes, all I can do is be your friend in my power. The good part is, though, that after that conversation, Jesus still said, feed my sheep. So it's just good to know that despite our shortcomings, Jesus can still use us and lead us with his power when we bow to his grace. And that's what Peter is doing right now, bowing to his grace around this fire. We're to be willing to follow Jesus wherever his leading takes us. But man, sometimes he leads us to some dark alleys in some dangerous places. Isn't that right? I mean, this, this, this following Jesus, it's not a joke. This is not a country club. This is not an easy thing to do. That's why we need his power. But we're commanded to follow him anyway and anywhere. Do you remember any dark alleys that you were led down by Jesus, but you allowed him to walk, walk it by himself like Peter did? Peter walked with him all the way up to the entrance of the alley, and then as Jesus kept walking, Peter just went back. I don't know the man. I never met him. I don't know him. Denied him three times, let Jesus walk down there by himself. Do you remember any dark alleys that you were led down, but let Jesus walk down them by himself? Peter deserted Jesus at the entrance to the darkest alley that he would ever walk. But here, right now, by that fire, after restoring Peter, he tells him that you won't be afraid to walk down your own darkest alley now because you, you got me. Listen to what Jesus said to Peter. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands 
and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, now get this, he just told him how he was about to die because you follow me. And he says, follow me anyway. Keep following me. That's really the tense that he said it in, keep on following me. I've risen from the dead. I've shown you that I've defeated death. What do you have to fear? Keep following me anyway. Jesus is speaking plainly about Peter's death. A life in Christ is serious business, y'all. Not a country club. If you follow Jesus, you have to at least confront the possibility of death for standing with him. When you have that settled, that's when you're ready to live and to serve. It's been said that Peter asked to be crucified upside down because he just did not see himself as worthy to die the same way his Lord did. Peter's death glorified God. The death of Lazarus glorified God. When Jesus died on that cross at Calvary, it glorified God. The Apostle Paul, his only concern was that he would glorify God. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, it says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul understood how serious this was. He understood that his life hung in the balance. But whether he was going to be alive or whether he was going to die, he was going to glorify God. He was going to glorify Jesus Christ. Jesus has a standard for everyone. He has a mission for everyone. And we all travel our own path according to his will. You don't travel mine, I don't travel yours, you don't travel his, they don't travel yours. You travel your own path that he has for you. Always remember that. It's so easy for us to have church, isn't it? And here we are right now, we're having church and we feel comfortable. We're, we're, we're relaxed, we don't have a care in the world, we are not worried that a big ruckus is going to happen out there and we're going to hear gunshots and people are going to come in here and say, Either deny Christ or you're going to die. You've got five minutes to make your decision. We don't have to worry about that. But what if we did? How many of you would still be here five minutes from now? I pray that he would give me the strength to stay. The same way when I needed to, he gave me the strength to go into a, fire, a burning building to save people. I pray that he would give me the strength to stand when the alley is the darkest. Because in my own power, I'm no better than Peter. In your own power, you aren't either. So we just have to pray that he would give us the strength to stand when the time comes. Look at, I mean, just look at how comfortable we are. We got our coats off. We're not, we're not in the woods trying to hide. We got this microphone going that everybody can hear all over the whole world. Not all over the whole world in, in, in this whole building. And, and we don't have a care in the world about it. We're just not even thinking about any possibility of somebody coming here and objecting to us worshiping and talking about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 
There's no freedom. There's no pressure. I'm sorry. There's total freedom for us in this building to worship whichever way we want. But there's a book called The Voice of the Martyrs. I don't know if any of you ever heard of it before. Anybody ever heard of The Voice of the Martyrs? Okay, good, good. Well, this book, for those of you who don't know, it's a book full of people all around the world who right now, while I'm freely preaching to you, they dying just because they say they believe in Jesus Christ. They are having their stuff taken, their families are being broken up, they're being put in prison, or they're being killed just because they say, I worship Jesus Christ. And you get to do it freely without a care in the world. Maybe that lessens our faith because we aren't under that pressure every day. To be able to stand anyway when you know somebody could come knocking at your door, that's a person who really will walk with Jesus down the darkest alleys. I just pray that we would be that way as well. They walk down dark alleys in his name daily. And I, and I literally mean even right now while we're talking, somebody's being killed just because they said they believe in Jesus Christ. They need your prayers. They need our support. They need for us to know that they exist. And they are good examples for us to help strengthen us because they're standing for Jesus under the worst type of persecution. You can go to persecution.com and you can order a free magazine that they'll send to you. And you get to know some of these people. And, uh, and, and we can help to bear their burdens by praying for them. Just think about there, there's somebody right now that is walking down a much darker alley than you are. But back in our story, Jesus told Peter about a dark alley that he would be willing to boldly walk down. Because now he has been restored. And then Peter, after being told that, he saw, actually he saw John. John didn't say John, but he saw, he saw John. He looked around and he saw John. So in verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So he's explaining it's that disciple. So when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? He said, what's going to happen to him? You're telling me I'm going to die. What's going to happen to this dude? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not going to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but basically they're saying, this is, what he's, this is what Jesus said. If it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So Peter turned around and saw John and asked, okay, we didn't heard mine. Tell me his. I know you like him better than you like me. Tell me what's going to happen to him. Jesus basically said, I can do whatever I want to with him. I can keep him here until I come back if I want to. What does that have to do with you? Nothing. You follow me. You do what I have set for you. And that's the same thing that he's saying to everybody in here, including me. Don't worry about what's going on with Ed or with Kimberly or with Carlene or with Tommy. You do 
what I have for you. You follow me according to my plan for you, and you just be obedient to that. This is what he's saying to all of us. You keep following me down the path that I lead you. And consequently, John did live the longest out of all the disciples. He also witnessed the Lord's return in a way on the island of Patmos when he saw a vision that he wrote about in the book of Revelation. John was the disciple that Jesus loved. John was ordered to take care of Jesus' mother while Jesus hung on that cross. John saw Jesus crucified. John saw Jesus risen from the dead. John wrote the Gospel of John that we're finishing up today. John wrote 1 John. John wrote 2 John. John wrote 3 John. And John wrote the book of Revelation while he was exiled on an island. And they exiled him because the, every Christian, every apostle, every disciple that they killed, more kept flooding. So they said, we can't kill him. So they just exiled him and, and kind of hid him away. And that's where he wrote the book of Revelation. So I just told you all this stuff about John. And verse 24 says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. John is bearing witness to the truth. He used the word witness in the, in the Gospel of John 47 times, so witness is a big part of his message, being a witness to the truth. He bears witness that Jesus rose from the dead. He bears witness that everything he says about Jesus is true. And then he goes on to say in the last verse of the book of John, we're going to close the book of John out with the last verse, verse 25. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Yeah. So just, I mean, so just think about it this way. Not even my whole story, but just my story since I turned to Christ. What if they wrote that? Your story only since you became a Christian. What if they said that? And then the people in the next city and in the next town and in the next block and in the next state and in the next country, through all of these generations, would there be enough room to write all of those stories, all of those things that Jesus did? Because Jesus is constantly working in my life every day. He is maturing me and changing me and helping me to grow daily. It's not just something that he did way back then, which he did come into my heart in the past, but he is still working in my life right now. How many pages in a book would he need to fill up just to tell my story? So no, the world would not have enough room But what he did write, just listen to this in case you're here and you're not sure. What he did write, it's enough for you to make a decision about Jesus Christ. Just in this book of John, it's enough for you to make a decision. No credible historian in the world denies that Jesus was real and that Jesus was crucified. What happened after that is now your decision. 
He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. His kingdom will last for an eternity. He transformed lives then, and he is still transforming lives today, right now. People are joining his kingdom to this very day. Maybe you are a part of his kingdom already. Maybe you are, okay? If you are, then, well, we need somebody to replace Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Titus, and, 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 and uh, Abraham, and Moses, because they're not here anymore. So welcome to the club. Do your job, as, as uh, Bill Belichick will say. Do your job. Oh, we, we got patriot haters in here, huh? That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. I understand. I'm with you. <laughs> But you get to be a representative of Jesus Christ right now, today. I was going to say right where you're standing, but you're not standing. Right where you're sitting. How about that? You need to reflect his light. You need to be a reflector of his light because you don't have his light. It's his light. But his light is supposed to be reflected off of us the same way the light of the sun reflects off of the moon. The moon doesn't have any light of its own, but we see the moon because its light is reflected from the sun. That's S-U-N. I'm saying your light should be reflected from the sun, S-O-N, the son of God. He has never stopped telling new disciples to follow him. If you are, a disciple, be willing to follow him down those dark alleys. But if not, please consider him today. He wants to add you to his kingdom. He wants to save you from your sins. He wants to restore you the same way he restored Peter to a great relationship. And I am bearing witness to you that it's all true. He did live. He did die. But do you believe that he died for you and that the resurrection really did happen? If you have not yet, bow to King Jesus. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. But I get it. I get it. We aren't all the same. We're all on different levels. I've been a bad guy in my life. But maybe you're a good guy. I don't know. Maybe you're a good guy. And, you know, I've heard people say that as long as you do more good than bad, you're going to be all right. So maybe you're a good guy. But don't ever get comfortable with thinking that you're ever so good that you don't need Jesus. Because it is not about, it has nothing to do with how good you are. It has to do with who you have. Without Jesus, you cannot get in. Because if you've messed up only one time, you're worthy of damnation. So don't bank on the fact that you're a good person, that I've done 10,000 more things than I've done bad things, so therefore I win. It's who you have. You need Jesus Christ in your life. He is the only key that unlocks the door to heaven for you. So if you're not a part of his kingdom, and you want to be, and I pray, I hope and pray that you do. All it takes is a sincere heart. And it doesn't take a whole bunch of words. You don't have to have this sincere heart and then get on your knees and eight days later you still pray. It don't take all of that. 
It wouldn't be anything wrong with talking to them for eight days, but it don't take that for you to be saved. All you have to do is just say simply, I'm a sinner. I admit that I've fallen short of your glory. Come into my life and save me. Done. That's it. That's all you need to do. But remember, the key is, is that you have a sincere heart when you're saying it. So just, just know that I sincerely need Jesus Christ. And just, just tell him to come into your heart. And then it'll be a done deal. And he will save you. Jesus told Thomas, blessed are those that have not seen yet believed. That's you and I. That's us. I wasn't there with the disciples or with John or with Jesus when he was visibly on this earth. But I bear witness to you that the resurrection really did happen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you closed out this book with some encouraging words for us who have fallen short, which that is every single one of us. Thank you for showing us how you restored Peter to his position with you to where he can now be restored and be able to help walk alongside people as they come to Christ as they learn about him. We, we, we pray, dear Lord, a, a prayer of gratitude that you will never leave us alone, that you will never forsake us, that you are our propitiation, you are our stain remover. We thank you, Lord, that, that day when we stand before God the Father, that when he looks at us, he'll see you because you stand in front of us. Thank you for washing our sins away. Thank you for blessing us with your grace. Thank you for when the time comes that you will give us the strength to walk down those dark alleys that we need to face in your name. And we pray when that time comes that we will be bold enough to walk them because we love you. In the name of your son Jesus we pray, amen. God bless you guys.